Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, whatever the case may be. This is Philip Terzian, literary editor of the Weekly Standard, with my weekly podcast on the books and arts section of the Weekly Standard. And this week we're looking at the October 13th issue, uh, where our lead piece is a review by Amy Henderson of the second volume of Sylvia Jukes Morris's biography of Claire Booth Luce. The name of the book is Price of Fame, the Honorable Claire Booth Luce. Uh, the first volume, which was published a couple of years ago, was called Rage for Fame, and this is the second and concluding volume. Claire Booth Luce is a figure um, a little less known today than she was not so very long ago. Um, she was uh, born at the turn of the century, uh, was a kind of woman about, uh, kind of a self-made woman about town in New York in the 1920s and 30s. Um, she married Henry Luce, the founder of Time magazine and Life and Fortune. And she wrote plays, a couple of which, uh, one in particular, The Women, was very popular, a big hit on Broadway, and then became a, a equally popular movie made about 1940. But she was also, um, uh, uh, her ambition uh, extended beyond uh, being Mrs. Henry Luce or even writing plays. And uh, during the Second World War, she uh, was elected uh, Republican congresswoman from Connecticut, uh, something of a thorn in the side of the Roosevelt administration. And um, she continued on with that and became quite prominent in um, Republican politics and in a la later day, one might say, conservative politics. She was uh, President Eisenhower's uh, ambassador to Italy in the early 1950s and actually a surprisingly um, effective and popular one in, in, in Italy uh, in the immediate post-war era. And she then became a kind of fixture in conservative intellectual circles. She was a good friend of William Buckley and people like that and was a doyen of the National Review crowd in the 1960s and 70s, uh, died about 20 years ago. And Sylvia Jukes Morris, who is um, uh, married to Edmund Morris, the biographer, um, has written what Amy Henderson regards as a both um, lively and interesting and revealing life of a, what we might call, lively, interesting, and revealing woman. So I commend it to you with much enthusiasm. That is followed by a review by Graham Hillard of uh, Ian McEwan's new novel called uh, The Children Act, and uh, the uh, the I, when I, when whenever we talk about novels, of course, the temptation is always to repeat the the plot to some degree. And I will say only that the plot involves um, the serious illness of a child and the deep uh, religious faith of his parents, which uh, uh, comes in opposition to the views of the physicians trying to uh, uh, treat him. And um, our reviewer approached the novel with a certain 
uncertainty, fearing that McEwen was going to use this as an opportunity to, to um, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, uh, not necessarily extol science at the expense of religion, but to hold religious faith up to ridicule, and he reports um, with relief and pleasure that's that's not the case at all. It's a very uh, complex plot and a very nuanced treatment of of the whole subject, and it's treatment of both physician and and uh, uh, religious patient uh, is quite um, sensitive and complex and and rewarding. So the novel is called The Children Act by Ian McEwen, reviewed by Graham Hillard, which is followed by a review of by Michael Nelson of uh, two books on a subject of interest to many Americans. Uh, one is called Against Football, One Fan's Reluctant Manifesto by Steve Almond, and the other is called Why Football Matters, My Education in the Game. Our reviewer thinks very little of the Almond book, which is a kind of hyper-politicized um, bleat against um, not only um, football, but the uh, capitalist culture that produces it and um, uh, aggrandizes it. And um, he manages to make it sound comparatively silly. Um, but the other book, Why Football Matters, My Education in the Game by Mark Edmondson from Penguin, is a very different matter. Mark, Edmund, Ed, Mark Edmondson is a professor of English at the University of Virginia. Um, he is a football fan, but is by no means blind to the the pros and cons of not only the game, but the football culture in America. And it's a far more nuanced and, and actually quite fascinating look at the subject. He, in the end, um, values football and, and um, likes what he sees generally, although he's not not completely blinkered about such things. And the book, um, our, our reviewer, Michael Nelson, um, um, as usual, takes the subject of, uh, rather the, the uh, uh, under the pretext of writing about these two books, has actually written a very interesting essay on the subject of football, which of course is, despite baseball's official status, football essentially is our, if, if popularity has anything to do with it, is our national pastime. That is followed by a review uh, by Gabriel Schoenfeld, um, of a book entitled Reagan at Reykjavik, 48 Hours That Ended the Cold War by Ken Edelman. Ken Edelman was the, uh, is a Washington uh, policy, foreign policy figure. In, during the Reagan administration, he was head of the Arms Control and Disarmament Agency and was present at the Reykjavik summit. Our reviewer, Gabe Schoenfeld, argues that um, the the subtitle of the book, as subtitles often do, 48 Hours That Ended the Cold War, is a, a bit of an over, overstatement. But the Reykjavik summit, summit was, of course, a very important one uh, in the sense that it, it was a standoff between Ronald Reagan's determination to pursue the Strategic Defense Initiative, or Star Wars, and Mikhail Gorbachev's recognition that if the United States pursued the SDI, um, the Soviet Union couldn't possibly match it 
and if it did, if the United States did construct a a defense system against incoming missiles, um, the Soviet Union, if it tried to to duplicate that effort, would be bankrupt in the process. Um, it's a very interesting exploration of the whole question of Reagan's attitude toward uh, nuclear war. He was, of course, as we know, horrified by the uh, predominant doctrine of the day of mutual assured destruction. And his pursuit of SDI in the face of all received wisdom and informed opinion in the United States, um, which uh, many of us, including I, remember uh, vividly, is is interesting. And and, um, uh, as always, our reviewer tells the story in a succinct and informative manner. That is followed by a very amusing essay by Thomas Vinciguerra. Thomas uh, Vinciguerra is a casual contributor to our pages, also a writer in New York who has um, uh, specializes in, in the old um, New Yorker literary crowd. He edited a wonderful anthology of the writings of Wolcott Gibbs and is about to come out with a, a, a book on Gibbs and E.B. White and Thurber and the golden age of the New Yorker, as he calls it. But it's an essay on, on a... <laughs> A, a very funny topic, which is um, sort of endless farewell tours, the inability of many people, and it's not just people in show business, uh, to make a graceful exit. Their exits from, from the stage tend to be extenuated, and um, uh, people tend to think that they want to lay down the burden of responsibility or uh, cast off the fame that they have borne or stop entertaining or leave the stage, stop publishing, whatever. And they do so with much fanfare, and then, of course, um, two, three years later, there they are again. I, I used as an illustration um, uh, one of Cher's innumerable farewell tours. This latest one was actually this year in Las Vegas, but Thomas Vinciguerra has any number of examples from different media, and it's a very funny piece, uh, which I think you will enjoy very much. John Podhortz this week uh, uh, reviews two films, The Equalizer with Denzel Washington and A Walk Among the Tombstones with Liam Neeson. Uh, and as always with John, he he um, has some very interesting things to say about both movies, but his larger point is that the two stars of those films, Denzel Washington uh, and Liam Neeson for uh, the, the other, are, are both uh, around the age of 60 and are both pretty much the only actors working at the moment who can make uh, action movies work and make them successful, which is perhaps a little counterfactual given the fact that they're both about 60 years old and our notion of action heroes is um, people much, much younger and... and uh, um, rather more, uh, shall we say, flexible than those two probably are. But it's an interesting piece, as always, with John, and I I think, well, in fact, I know you will enjoy it uh, almost as much as I have enjoyed talking to you this week and look forward to talking to you next week about the books and arts section in the Weekly Standard. Thanks so much.